doing great at all campuses. Welcome everyone, my name is Omar and I serve as the lead pastor here at Christ Fellowship. And I wanna take the time to welcome all of our campuses joining us live all throughout Miami. It's amazing what technology does. We can all worship and study God's word together as well as everyone watching online and our social media platforms. Family, let's go ahead and give it up for them big time for joining us. Thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, at the beginning of this year, we started a journey through the Gospel of Mark. And today is a big day because we are launching a brand new series called Miracle Worker. And uh, we're going to be looking at selected miracles through the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to see that Jesus didn't just do miracles just for show. But rather, there was a purpose behind every miracle. There was something that he wanted to accomplish, something that he wanted to display. And so today, I'm excited to dive into God's Word. Man, I've been looking forward to it. I hope you are too. And so wherever you find yourself, open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, verse 21 and through 28. And you can just follow along with me as I read, all right? Listen to what God's Word says. It says this. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was what? It was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had what? A little louder, everyone. Come on. Authority. He taught them as one who had authority. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with what? With authority. Jesus spoke with authority. That is God's word. You can go ahead and take a seat, everybody, at all campuses. You know, this is a big weekend for us here, not only because we're starting a brand a new series, but also because it's the Super Bowl weekend. How many of you guys excited about the Super Bowl? Yeah, I'm so excited about it too. And two big quarterbacks are playing in this, in this game. We got uh, Patrick Mahomes. And we got old man Tom Brady, right? There he is. <laughs> well, listen, before we start, let's just see. Let's just see what, how many of us think. So when I say this player's name, if you think they're going to win, I want you to shout and clap and just say, hey, I think they're going to win. They're going to win. So when I say their name, you, you clap if you think they're going to win, right? So first of all, how many of you think Patrick Mahomes is going to win? Yeah. Now, how many of you think, all right, Tom Brady's going to win? Well, today, a little more Tom Brady than Patrick Mahomes. But listen, I personally think, I think Tom Brady takes this one. I think Patrick Mahomes has a long future career ahead of him, a real successful one. But I think Tom Brady has something to prove without Belichick. But, you know, I think Brady's road to stardom is very, very unique. You know, to begin with, back when he was in college, he was not the starter at Michigan. Rather, he was a backup quarterback. And then when the NFL draft came, all right, he was not the top in the first, he was not drafted in the first round, but instead, he was drafted 199th in the 2000 NFL draft. And you know, when he showed up to the NFL, listen, he was as ordinary as could be. I mean, there was nothing flashy about him. He was just, he looked like an ordinary guy. 
In fact, there's a famous picture of this draft, of this draft, when they were, when the people were like, you know, looking at him and deciding where to draft him. There's a famous picture of him. That's him right there, right? He looked as ordinary as you can be. But folks, even though Tom Brady did look ordinary, when he stepped into the football field, there was something about him that he just carried himself with authority. He, he spoke with authority. In fact, when he was drafted, he looked into the owner's eyes and he said, hey, I am the best decision your organization has ever made. And when, he, and when Drew Bledsoe, who was a quarterback before Brady, when he then went down with an injury, he told all his teammates, hey, Bledsoe is not getting his job back. And so the moment that he stepped into that NFL huddle, listen, he began to speak with authority. Now, here's the thing. Anybody could speak with authority, right? Any of us could step into an NFL huddle, including myself, right? And we can talk with authority. But what made Tom Brady unique is that his actions confirmed that authority which he spoke with. You see, not only did he speak with authority, but his actions backed up and proved that authority. In fact, take a look at this video. Well, listen, even if you don't like Tom Brady, you have to admire what he has accomplished ever since getting into the NFL. See, that is why he is the GOAT, right? He's the greatest of all time. And just to remind us how great he's really become in the NFL, how much he's accomplished, take a look at these stats really quick. If we can get these stats really quick on, there we go. He's never had a losing season. He has the most passing yards in NFL history, both postseason and regular season combined most touchdowns in NFL history, most wins, most Pro Bowls, most Super Bowl appearances, and the most Super Bowl wins. Man, what a career Tom Brady has had. But family, listen, do not miss the point, though. Because everything that Tom Brady did on the football field only confirmed the authority which which he spoke with when it came to football matters. Now, family, let me just bring all that over to our time together because, family, what an image of the authority of Jesus. And by that, I mean that just like Tom Brady proved his authority on the field through his actions. Listen, just like that, and here's the big idea for today. Jesus Christ proved his authority on earth through his actions. Now, you may be watching out there thinking, Omar, all right, so what do you mean that Jesus had authority? Because when I think of Jesus, I don't think of him having authority. So what do you mean by authority, and what were these actions that he did that proved his authority? Well, we're going to find out from Mark chapter 1, all right? So if you have your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 1. You can also open up your apps and follow along there with us. You can download them. And today I have two thoughts for you on the authority of Jesus. So write this down as point number one. Miracles proved that Jesus had what? Authority. Now let's go to the passage for today. Listen to what it says. It says, and they went into where? 
Capernaum, right? And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered into the what? Into the synagogue and was teaching. Now, pause right there and let me set up the scene of, of what's going on here for a moment. Because first of all, it says that they entered into a place called Capernaum. Now, Capernaum is a small little town located in northern part of Israel. I have a little map here so you can have a visual of where it's at. You got Jerusalem back here, the Dead Sea. You got Nazareth where Jesus was raised. And then you have Capernaum right here at the top of the Sea of Galilee. And it's a very beautiful area, very fertile, very green. The southern part is very dry, but it's very green. We have an actual picture just so you can see how it looks today. So that's like the region where Jesus showed up and he spent a lot of his time in ministry. But folks, while he was in Capernaum, instead that he went into a synagogue. Now, what is a synagogue? Well, simply put, a synagogue is simply a place for the Jewish people to come together and to worship God. You know, if you study God's word, I don't know if you realize this, but in the Old Testament, there were no synagogues. There, were only, there was only the temple. And the, and the people of God would all gather together. They would come from faraway lands and they would gather together at the temple to worship God and praise him and study his word to hear the word of God being taught. But what happened was that when the Babylonians, years and years before, before this, centuries before this, when the Babylonians came to, uh, to Israel, to Jerusalem, they destroyed that temple and they took the people of God captive into the land of Babylon. And so while they were there, because there was no temple, right, they're in Babylon, they started to meet in smaller groups called, in small groups just like we have small groups here at Christ Fellowship. And they call those things little synagogues. In fact, the word synagogue means just to come together. But folks, here's what happened. The moment that God brought them back into the land of Israel, sure, they rebuilt that temple again, but they kept the concept of synagogues. And so there were synagogues all over the land of Israel, in every village, in every little town, in every city. There was a synagogue, and these were very important places. Because here's where they would come together on the Sabbath to study God's word and praise, and praise the Lord, just like kind of we do here at church, just like that. But during the week, it not only served as a school for children, but it was also a civil court. And so the scribes and leaders of the synagogues, what they would do is that they would rule on civil matters. And so you can imagine a very important part of every little town or every little city where everyone would gather. And so these synagogues, during the ministry of the Lord, and as we go through the Gospel of Mark, you'll see he'll be in synagogues often. These were the perfect places for him to kind of go through all the towns and really share the message of the Gospel. And who knows, maybe that is the reason why God preserved this whole concept of synagogues because it was a perfect place for him to go and share the message of the gospel throughout his ministry. So when Jesus walks into the synagogue in Capernaum, he begins just to carry himself with authority. And here is the first aspect of his authority. In fact, write this down at small letter A. The authority of his word or the authority of his teaching. Now, listen to what happens next in the text. It says this. It says, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had what, family? Authority, and not as one of the scribes. Now, go ahead and mark the word authority right there in your Bible if you have it open. To word their authority in, their, in the original Greek text, you know, we always like to remind you here at CF that 
the Bible was first written in Greek and Hebrew and then translated into different languages. Well, the word here is exosia, very common word, and it means full right or full privilege, right? There's something about that, that word that you have the right to do whatever you want. And so when Jesus spoke, it says that he spoke with this absolute conviction, right? This absolute privilege of what he was teaching. But folks, notice the passage states that it was not like the scribes. See, the scribes at that time, here's the way that they would teach. They did not speak with authority, but rather here's what they would do. They would just quote other rabbis. And so as they would teach, right, they would just teach God's word. But they would always say, hey, hey um, Rabbi Hillel said this, or this rabbi of old said this. And so they would present all these views. And all they would do is just share different opinions of different rabbis. And folks, they prided themselves in attaching their name to another rabbi, to a rabbi. And, you know, it's, it's interesting how even today, pastors in many ways kind of do the same thing. Not exactly the same, but for example, you know, when, when, when you meet a pastor, when pastors meet each other, if we want to know what theological backing or background they come from, all we have to ask is, hey, who do you listen to? you know, in your life, you know, who, who do you like to listen to? And whoever they say they listen to, that's when we know, okay, they're coming from that theological framework. Same thing like with, with the scribes, right? That's the way they were doing it, but they prided themselves in attaching their name to another rabbi. But when Jesus starts to teach, here's what happens, right? He doesn't quote anybody. He doesn't give five views. He doesn't say, hey, this rabbi said this, but rather he begins to teach with authority. He te his teachings were just absolute. And they were not used to this. And so no doubt, as Jesus begins to teach the people in the synagogue, all the leaders and the scribes were probably thinking, hey, who does he think he is? Who does he think he is teaching God's word and not quoting other rabbis? And so I'm sure they're murmuring and they're questioning why he's doing what he's doing. And Jesus knows what, what they're thinking, I'm sure. So he's just teaching God's word to the people. And so knowing what they were thinking, listen to what happens next. It's really fascinating. Listen to what happens next. It says, and immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he what? He cried out. And so, so here's the scene, right? As Jesus is teaching, there's a demon-possessed man right in the crowd that begins to yell and to scream. And so I don't know if you ever heard those noises sometimes. Listen, they could be really scary. They could be very distracting. All the attention went to that specific man. Now, imagine just right now today, if here or one of our campuses or even on wherever you're watching at home, wherever the case may be, if someone around you starts, you know, screaming and shrieking, listen, you guys are not paying attention to my teaching anymore. You guys are focused on that one thing. And some of you may be running out the door. You're scared. Some of you may, may kind of be shocked. Some of us may get our foes, get closer to, you know, for social media or Instagram, right? There'll be very different reactions. But you know what? The attention goes solely on that. So I'm sure that this is happening. And so Jesus here is using this opportunity not only to show that his words and, and teaching have authority, but he's going to take this opportunity to show another aspect of his authority. In fact, write this down as letter B. He's going to show the authority of his judgment. The authority of his judgment. Now, notice what this demon says. Listen, let's go back to the text. It says this. 
It says, and he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Which, by the way, Jesus of Nazareth was a, was a jab at Jesus. This was not a, a good place to be quoted from. So he kind of jabs at Jesus, hey, Jesus of Nazareth. But listen to the next question. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. The family, what a strange question. Have you come to destroy us? Now, why would this demon ask, have you come to destroy us? See, one of the things that we need to remember is that Jesus is not only the Savior of the world, he's also the judge of the world. Amen? In fact, Scripture tells us he is the one who's going to judge all of humanity. In fact, listen to what it says, what Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. It says this. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge, what? The living and the dead. And then listen to what Peter says about Jesus and those who refuse to believe him. He says this. He says, but they will give an account to him who is ready to what? To judge, right, the living and the dead. And so, folks, there's going to be a moment in time where every single human being in the history of humanity, we're not, we're not only going to come before Christ and kneel down before the Lord, but he's going to be the one that we have to give an account to. He is the judge of every human being, of every, of every century, of every country. He is the judge of every human being. But, folks, he's also the judge of demons. In fact, listen to what it says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. It says this. It says, for if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the what? Until the judgment. See, the Bible teaches us that in eternity past, there was a moment in time where Satan and, his, and some angels rebelled against God. And at that, point, at that moment, God casted them out of heaven. And what Scripture teaches us that, that really demons are not judged yet. They're going to be judged at the end of time. And so what these, angels, what these demons are kind of realizing, they're asking the question is, why are you here now, Jesus? We know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. You're the one who's going to judge all humanity and all, uh, and, 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 and all of us. So why are you here? It's not the time. Are you here to destroy us? And so what we see here is that Jesus is using this opportunity, these words from this demon, to start showing a little bit of the people there what his true authority is. And so this story is not only going to show us, right, that Jesus had authority over his words, and his judgment, but also write this down as letter C. He's going to show the authority of his power. Now listen to what happens next. It says this. So what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, what, came out of him. And notice, folks, the moment that Jesus confronts this, this demon, he shows the power to everyone there. 
You know, we need to remember that Jesus has complete power. The Bible teaches us that he's the one who spoke the world into existence. Not the Father, but the Son of God is the one who spoke the world into existence. And then we also see that he holds the word, the universe, by the word of his power, meaning every atom of every corner of this universe, of every animal, of every person, of every waterfall, of every leaf, Jesus is holding it by the word of his power. And so listen, there's no limit to the power that Jesus has. And so in this encounter with this demon, right, what I love about it is that there is no dialogue with this demon. There's no negotiation with this demon. There's no special formula that Jesus uses. What do we see? We just see absolute power. So this poor man, right, he begins to convulse and yell and scream, and this demon just comes out of him at that moment. Family, here's what I want us to notice about this passage. That when one truly understands the full gamut of Jesus' authority, right? The full spectrum of his authority in word and teaching is judgment and power. Listen, when one truly understands his full range of authority, here's what it leads to. Write this down as big number two. Understanding his authority leads us to what? To obedience. To obedience. In fact, let's go back and see what happens then. It says, and they were all amazed, right, the people who were there, so that they question among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. And he what? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they what? Obey him. See, family, what the principle that we see here is this, is that obedience to Jesus is directly tied to one's understanding of his authority. You know, these demons knew exactly the authority that Jesus had. And because they understood his authority, they obeyed him immediately. But folks, let's turn the focus off of this demon, right? And let's put the focus on us. Let's get practical for just a moment here. Because listen, to the degree that you see Jesus as an authority in your life, to that degree, you will obey him. Let me repeat that. To the degree that you see Christ as an authority in your life, to that degree you will walk in obedience before him. And so we need to understand this basic principle because in today's day and age, it's very easy for us, for many people to see his words not as authoritative. In fact, listen, in the secular world, not many people have issues with the words of Jesus, right? They like the concept of his love. They love the concept of his compassion and what he stands for. You know, they, they love all that. But listen, the moment that you say that his words are authoritative, that's when there's a problem, right? They, they, they like the conception from far away, but the moment you say, hey, his words are authoritative, that's when you're going to run into issues, right? And so here's what happens. Here's the truth that we need to embrace. Write this down as letter A and B. Listen, we need to understand that his commands are not suggestions, and his commands are not just good advice. Amen? You know, one of the pitfalls that many people have when they end up struggling in their walk with Christ is that when they open up his word and they read his command and they read what the Lord is asking them to do, they think it's just good suggestions. 
In other words, along with what Google says, along with what our coworker says, along with that buddy from high school, what they say, along with what that family member says, along with what they think, Jesus, for many people, is just another voice in making decisions, right? It's just another good voice in the way to shape your life. But folks, that's not the case. Because the truth is this, write this down outside our C if you're taking notes, is that his commands are to be revered and they are to be followed. Amen? Amen? Amen. You know what? We can clap for that. Amen? There you go. And so understand this. Listen, when Christ died for you on that cross, when he suffered for you, and you came before him with all of your sin, with all of your shame, with all of your mistakes, and you asked for forgiveness, and you started a relationship with the Lord, and he made you his son and daughter, and now he's planning a future for you, your future secure. Listen, when you come before him, not only does he become the savior of your life, but he becomes the Lord of your life. And as a Lord of your life, his word is what leads us. His word is what guides us. His word is what we do in our life. See, it's not more about what you think is right and your own reasoning, but rather you solely rely on the words of your Lord. Amen? In fact, listen to what the Apostle Paul says here in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, which is one of my favorite verses in Scripture, about the change that should take place in, the, in your life when you come to Christ. Listen to what he says. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. In other words, I have died to myself. I have died with the Lord. And it is no longer I who live. In other words, it's not my desires anymore. When I came to Christ, it's not my, 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 the things that I think is right, what I want to do, my own will. Listen, he says, I is, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. And what? And he gave himself for me. You see, family, what it means to follow Jesus, right? That's our mission statement, right? Helping you follow Jesus, right? When you start following the Lord, notice Paul says, and the life I live in the flesh, I now live by faith. See, part of the Christian life is that now you live by faith in the words of Jesus, in the commands of Jesus, in what he's asking you to do. And family, oftentimes, here's what happens. Many times when we start our walk with the Lord, we give authority to God in our lives, but there's certain areas that we keep to ourselves. That we say, no, 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 I'm going to keep control of this. I'm going to keep, it's what I want to do here that I'm going to do. And you know how you realize, how you know whether or not uh, you're trying to hold on to your own authority and your own control? Is that when someone brings that topic up in your life, you get really defensive about it. You get defensive about it. See, the sin that's, that you are most defensive about in your own life right now it's most likely the sin that you're trying to hold on to control and authority over your own life. 
Let me repeat that again. If you get defensive about anything that is taught from God's word or that someone brings up to you, perhaps you want to keep authority and control over that. You don't want to give that over to the Lord. And so here's what I want to pose to you today. And it's very simple. Listen, what, are, what do you get defensive about? What do you get defensive about? Is it a relational issue with a family member or spouse? Is it unforgiveness? Holding bitter, you don't want a reconciliation with someone? Is it how much you're drinking? Is it the group of friends you have? Is it gossip when someone says, hey, do you get defensive about it? Do you justify it? What do you get defensive about? And let me tell you, as a pastor, the, in my own experience, there's two areas that people really get defensive about it when you, conf- you talk about this subject. You guys want to see the, the two things I, that, that I've seen so many times? Here it is. Romances and finances. Listen, the moment that you touch on those topics with people's lives, their sexual lives, their romantic lives, their dating life, their money, how much their generosity, when you touch on those two topics, oh, people don't like it. People don't like it. And they'll make justifications. They'll murmur. Oh, I can't believe they're teaching that. Oh, I can't believe he's touching. I can't believe he approached me about this. But you know what? All that murmuring, all that stuff, it's all facade because you want to keep controlling your life and you don't want to do what the Lord's asking you to do. That's what's happening. So the question is like, what are you defensive about? And because it's hard to let go of control, you want to keep control because you care about those areas in your life. But the reality is that the Lord has better plans. The Lord has better things for you in that specific area than what you want to keep control. Amen. And family, can I tell you something? When you come to a place in your life that you give control over to the Lord, here's what happens. You experience freedom. Because no longer when decisions come down the pike, it's no longer what you want to do. You already know what you're going to do. He's in control. He's the one. Whether it's family issues, financial things, it doesn't matter. Whatever comes on the pike, it makes life a huge, a lot easier. Why? Because it's what the Lord's going to say. But that's what I'm going to do. And family, the reason I share that is because I've experienced that in my own life. You know, early on my walk with Christ, there were some areas in my life that I try to keep control. That I try to, you know, but the moment that I gave everything to the Lord and I opened up my, I said, Lord, take this. That's when I saw God's guidance, His provision his blessings, everything that God has for us in the specific life. But you know what? I had to come to a point that I needed to give authority over those areas in my, of, uh, in my life. And so here's how we're going to end today. Listen, I want to, many of us, listen, we're all in different situations, different contexts. But you know what? Until we see 
the Lord face to face, we're all going to struggle here and there with areas that we don't want to give authority over to the Lord, right? And so today I want to just end today in a little more reflective moment and a reflective tone. And so a few moments, I'm going to just ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And you know what? When you do that, you just, whatever that is that you know you have not given authority, talk to the Lord about it. Confess it to the Lord. And if you feel like, Lord, I know I haven't given you authority and I don't want to still, ask him, Lord, soften up my heart. Help me to get to a place where I do that. And I say, he'll be faithful. And so at all campuses and online, go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes. And just take about 15, 20 seconds quietly to yourself. Let it be a special moment. Will you talk to the Lord? Just be real with him. Say, Lord, I acknowledge it and I need you. So take some time. Father, today I come before you, Lord, as, as part of this church family, and I pray for all of us, oh God. We're in different situations, different circumstances, different histories, but Father, what we have in common, Lord, that we've cried out to you as Lord and Savior. So Father, help us individually and collectively, Lord, to continue to surrender our lives to you and trust that your authority over that area in our life that we care about so much is better than whatever authority we have over that. So, Father, we come before you, Lord, and we leave these things at your feet. And we ask you to take over, Lord, and lead us in the way you want us to go. And with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, I also want to speak to some of us here today because some of us here watching right now on one of our campus, maybe perhaps you're here today and you realize, you know, it's not about that I haven't given my life some areas in my life. I haven't given my life at all to Christ. So you're probably wondering, Omar, how do I do that? Well, listen, it's not about your good works. It's not about how many times you come to church, how many times you tune in. Listen, it's not a tradition. It's not about that. The Bible says that when you come to Christ and you put your faith in him, you don't trust in yourself anymore. You don't trust in your own good works, but you trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. The Bible says he forgives you of all of your sins. He gives you everlasting life. And you start a relationship with him that will never end. So if that's you, if you're ready to take that step and say, Omar, I'm ready to... Make Jesus the, the, the Savior and the Lord of my life. I'm going to lead you through a prayer, okay? And when I lead you through this prayer, it's not a poem. It's not something we've wrote here. It, it's just me helping you talk to the Lord. So you just talk to the Lord in your own words. I'll lead you through a prayer, but make this a special moment. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed, just pray this with me, if that's you. Father, today I realize that all my life I've been trying to control and keep authority of my life. And it's led me nowhere. But today I realize how everything you're offering me. And so I come before you, I confess my sin, and I put my trust in you. Save me today, Lord. And for the rest of my life, Lord, help me, lead me to follow your commands, to follow your guidance, to follow your words. Because I know, Lord, that that's your good will for me. So Father, help me to live a life that honors you. I love you, Lord. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen.